0: Well, life is full of substitutions, and we go about life and we see this happen all the time. Uh, When you were in school, there was always a time when the teacher was either sick or on vacation, and they would bring in a substitute teacher. teacher. Sometimes the substitute teachers were fun, sometimes not so much, right? Uh, I, I don't know why I remember this. The only thing I really remember from third grade is a particular substitute teacher who came in. Uh, And I only remember him because uh, he basically let us do whatever we wanted to do. He told us, hey, here's your homework. And then there was no rules the rest of the day. There were people running around like crazy. There was a lot of noise. And it was a lot of fun. It was probably my favorite day in third grade. Only time I ever saw that substitute teacher. I think that uh, he lost his job after our class. But it was fun while we had it. Uh, as we get older, we do know and we recognize the different subs that come in, and we know which ones are extremely strict, and we know which ones we can get away with things, and we just kind of get into that habit of knowing, all right, but we know, that we understand that idea of substitution. Uh, it happens even as we get older. Uh, when I was working at Walmart, they would call me on Thursday morning, and they say, Tony, do you want to come work? Because so many guys had called in sick, and I said, sure, Why not? Uh, My wife loved the extra money, all right, so I would go in, and and I'm going to pick on you a lot today, by the way, babe, all right, uh, I would go in and work, and it was interesting because our shift always got called in to help, and their shift never got called in to help us. I don't know what that was all about, but just how it worked out. Uh, My wife has decided we're going on a diet, all right, and part of that (laughs) diet, everyone's looking at her now, part of that diet is we're not allowed to have sugar, all right, and do you know how hard that is at times? Everything has sugar in it, all right? But there is a substitute, all right? It doesn't taste the same, all right? You got to kind of get used to it, and after a while, it does get better, all right? But there's substitution throughout our world, and a lot of times, the substitutes that we have, they're not nearly as good as the original. Today, I want to talk about this idea of Jesus being our substitute and what He does for us. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 15. Uh, we're going to read the first 15 verses of Mark chapter 15. Uh, this chapter uh, talks about the second part of Jesus' trials. Uh, Jesus is arrested the night before, and He's brought in uh, to the uh religious leaders the sanhedrin this high court of the jewish law and they uh, come and they kind of go through a trial real quick with jesus it appears to be uh, fairly fast paced Uh, and we get to this point where uh, they've decided that jesus is worthy of death but they don't have the authority to actually execute jesus all right, and so they are going to bring Jesus to the Romans and allow the Romans uh, to do that execution. So we're going to read about the first part of this in verse 1. We're told that very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans, and they bound Jesus, and they led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Uh, Pilate is a name, not a job description. Okay, uh, He is a governor of this region at this time. Uh, We're told that uh, in Roman history that whenever a court case was presented, it always took place at the break of dawn, all right? And so this is why it appears that they're going so quickly, right? Jesus is arrested in the middle of night, they have their trials, and then they get Jesus to Pilate first thing in the morning. And it's because they had to do that, all right? If they wanted people to be arrested. If they wanted to have that trial take place on this day, they had to be there at daybreak. And so they're bringing Jesus and they're bringing him to the Romans. It could have been easy for them to simply stone Jesus in their courtyard and no one would have known. But they are wanting to make this very public because a part of the public execution for Romans involved crucifixion. And someone that is crucified, they are crucified because they have caused some troubles. And so the religious leaders, they're doing this because they want not only Jesus to be crushed, they are wanting Jesus' movement to stop right here, right now. Sometimes I think we're desensitized to this idea of the cross. You know, we place it on our walls, we wear it as jewelry in fact my daughter when she got her ears pierced uh, the item that she chose to use for her earrings were crosses and so we're so used to the image in our culture being stylized that we forget what it really means if we we're to ask the average person on the street they probably would not even mention someone dying on the cross unless they mentioned jesus Crucifixion wasn't invented by the Romans, but it was perfected by them. And they would often take the person that is accused and worthy of crucifixion and have them carry their crossbeam through the town to the place where they would be executed. And there they would be nailed or tied to the crossbeam, and the crossbeam would be lifted up, and they would last there for a couple of days. All right, this wasn't a quick execution. Uh, They would hang on these crosses and they would uh, have such trouble breathing that they would have to lift up on their legs in order to get a breath and then come back down. And what eventually caused them to die was exhaustion and suffocation. And they did this for everyone that was worthy of death. And they would take these persons and they would strip them naked. It was a very humiliating thing. The clothes would be given to the soldiers who were guarding the crosses. And they would place above the head of the person the crime that they had committed because this is public. They want people to know why this person is dying. And Mark, we're told that the reason that he dies is because he's king of the Jews. And they would have taken him to one of the major roads leading into the city so that as everybody walks on that road coming into town, they would see this man who is being crucified and they would be allowed to know why he was there and what they should do to avoid being like this guy. It's the worst kind of death. And the reason why the religious leaders want this to happen is because they want. Jesus' movement to be over. So they bring Jesus to Pilate. And they have him do another trial. And we read about that trial starting in verse 2. Mark kind of keeps his account short. Uh, He doesn't tell us everything that happens in it. And so here we have in verse 2, Pilate asking Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replies, You have said so. Uh, The accusation of what uh, Jesus is, is he is the king of the Jews. And this is very interesting for a couple of reasons. Uh, First off, the Romans really didn't care about if you blasphemed or not. All right, So the Sanhedrin, the reason why they decide that Jesus is worthy of death is because he's blasphemed. And they're upset about it. And Jesus has gone too far. When they ask him, are you the Messiah? Jesus says, I am. And you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds and in power. And so the religious leaders are upset about this, but the Romans, they wouldn't have cared. And so what they have to do is give a crime that is worthy of crucifixion. And such a crime is rebellion. What the Romans did care about was you upsetting their power. And so if someone came and they claimed to be a king when really the only ruler in their entire country was Caesar, that would get them upset. And if you were rebellious, if you were starting a rebellion, if you were trying to fight against them, that was worthy of death. And so when Pilate asks this question, it's because that is the accusation that's been given to him. Are you the king of the Jews? It's also interesting because of what it means to be the Messiah. See, the reason why the religious leaders are upset is because Jesus claims to be the Messiah, right? And this idea of Messiah, we sometimes forget that it involved kingship. It involved someone being the ruler. And so when the religious leaders come to Pilate, they translate to Pilate what Jesus means when he says, I am the Messiah. Lastly, it's interesting because of who the religious leaders are. It's ironic in a lot of ways that the reason why they arrest Jesus in the first place is because Jesus is claiming to be something that they don't agree with. They were looking for a Messiah, but Jesus was upsetting everything because the way Jesus taught the Jews how to live, it was not what they themselves thought should happen. Their idea of Messiah conflicted with Jesus' idea of Messiah. And so it's interesting that they get upset so much so that they come and they more or less say he's claiming to be the Messiah. And Jesus is going to be publicly humiliated by these people by these religious leaders who are professing the truth with their mouths. He is the king of the Jews. And I wonder how often we attribute to that public humiliation of Jesus. You know, we've all claimed at some point in time that Jesus is the Messiah, that we are going to follow him through thick and thin, and I wonder how we portray that with the way that we live. When I look at my life, I know that I didn't necessarily always ever live up to that. High school was not a good time. Even early college was not a good time for me. And people knew that I was wanting to be a minister, and yet I still treated them badly. And I wonder what they thought of me and what they thought of Jesus because of the way I live. How often do we profess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and then with our lives profess something totally different? Well, Jesus answers is the only time that Jesus answers Pilate throughout this entire conversation. It's very interesting. But Pilate Pilate knows something's up. Again, Mark hasn't given us all of the story. The other gospels give us more information and it appears that Pilate and Jesus have a little bit longer of a conversation and in that, Pilate recognizes that Jesus isn't really trying to be king like we think of kings. And so he's going to go through this trial because the chief priests, they have that kind of power in this society. But he's not convinced that Jesus is really doing what they're claiming to do. In verse 3, we read about the trial. We're told that the chief priests accuse him. Jesus of many things. Uh, Matthew and Luke were told that there's three things in particular that they accuse Jesus of. All three uh, kind of are are bullet points to the main point that he's claiming to be king. If you read Jesus' words in any of the Gospels, you see that those three things that the religious leaders are accusing him of are are baloney. It's not really what Jesus said, but they're trying to make the point stick. And in verse 4, we're told that Pilate asked Jesus again, aren't you going to answer? See how many of these things they are accusing you of? They didn't have lawyers. Everyone got to defend themselves. And Pilate is asking, Jesus, do you hear what these guys are saying? Are you going to say something? And I believe that if Jesus had said one thing, these guys are not telling the truth, Pilate probably would have said, okay. Okay. But we're told in verse 5 that Jesus made no reply. And Pilate is amazed. Throughout the book of Mark, after Jesus performs a miracle, the way that the people are described is this word. They stood amazed. And Pilate is amazed. Jesus is going to remain silent. And this finds significance when we remember the words from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, Isaiah tells this story about a servant of God who will suffer. A servant of God who would take upon the transgressions and the sins of the people of Israel upon himself. The servant of God who would suffer many different things to bring healing to the nation of Israel. And in verse 7, in the middle of this poem of suffering he says these words he said talking about the servant, he will be oppressed and afflicted yet he did not open his mouth he was like a lamb led to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silence and so he did not open his mouth and when we read about the trial of jesus this should instantly pop to our minds that jesus is the suffering servant. Jesus is the one that God will place the sins of the world upon to bring forgiveness. Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He is the sacrifice and the substitute for the things that we have done. Even as this trial is going on, Pilate is not convinced that everything is up to standard. And so he has one last option. He cannot acquit Jesus without Jesus defending himself. So he has one last option up his sleeve, and we read about it in verse 6. We're told that uh, there was a custom that they had at the festival, the the Passover, to release a prisoner whom the people requested. And we're introduced in verse 7 to a man called Barabbas, who was in prison with with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. Uh, We're not told anything about this guy other than he is an insurrectionist. He is a rebellious. He is fighting against Rome. And when the Jews gathered together at the three major festivals, there was always some kind of riots. There's a reason why Pilate is in Jerusalem on this weekend and not back where he normally stays. It's because he has to be there to keep the peace. And this particular week, some people had fought against the Romans, and they had actually murdered some people in their rioting. And Barabbas was one of them, and he is arrested, and he is worthy of being crucified. And we're told that the crowd came up, and they asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. In order to keep the peace during these festivals, they wouldn't crucify everyone that they arrest. They would release a couple of them so that not the rest of Jerusalem would not riot. And so the crowd comes knowing that this is the time, this is when we can get one of our friends back. And they come to ask for their pardon. And so Pilate, knowing that not everything is what it seems, you know, the Jews, they did not like the Romans. Pilate did not like the Jews and they never worked together. And so to have the religious leaders come and say, this guy, he's starting a rebellion. That was abnormal. Something's not right. And Pilate is recognizing it. And so he's going to try to release Jesus by using the crowds. In verse 9, we're told uh, that Pilate asked the crowd this question, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And he asked it, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to them. He knows that they're jealous of the popularity of Jesus. And so he presents Jesus to the crowd, Do you want me to release Jesus, the king of the Jews? But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have a pilot release Barabbas instead. So this is the animosity between the Romans and the Jews being played out. When left with the choice of following the Roman governor or the chief priests of the Jews, the Jews would follow the chief priests every time, without thinking, without questioning. So when, when, when Pilate asked, do you want Jesus' release? And the chief priest says, no, we really want Barabbas' release. Everyone agrees with the chief priest. Give us Barabbas. And Pilate, at this point, is kind of frustrated, ready to be done with the mess. So he asked them, what shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted, crucify. Crucify. See, Pilate's in over his head at this point. He thought he had an ounce, but he did not realize how much the Jews were against him. And he thought he had it laid out. Who do you want me to give? This man who's healed you? This man who's been going around the countryside teaching you how to live a good life? This man who has spent three years ministering to you? Or this guy who wants to start a war? Who's killed some of you? Who do you want? And they cry out for Barabbas. Pilate's befuddled, and so he doesn't know what to do, so he asks the crowd, because that's the only reasonable thing to do, right? So in verse 14, we're told that Pilate says, why, what crime has he committed? And they shout out even louder, crucify him. And wanting to satisfy the crowd, not wanting a riot to start, Pilate releases Barabbas to them, and he has Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. The flogging that they would do under Roman law, a lot of times we we remember the 39 lashings that are talked about throughout the New Testament, but under Roman law, there was no number sets. And they would beat them and beat them and beat them until the person decided enough was enough. And a lot of times, These guys would die from these floggings. So Jesus is handed over to the flogging. He's handed over to the mockery that is going to happen because he is crucified. And he's handed over to be crucified. And it's interesting because as we read this story, we see that there is one man in the story who deserved to be beat. There is one man in this story who deserves to be mocked. There is one man in this story who deserves to be crucified, and his name is Barabbas. And Jesus takes the beating that Barabbas deserved. And Jesus takes the mockery that Barabbas deserved, and he takes on the crucifixion that really Barabbas deserved. And if we're honest with ourselves... The truth is, we're Barabbas, and Jesus takes the worst part of who we are, and he, we, he gives us his best. So we don't know anything about Barabbas, and we're not told anything about his past, we're not even told what happens to him after this event, we're just told about him in this section, I think Mark does it for a reason. I think Mark does it to give us a tangible, living idea of what it is that Jesus does for us. And when we read this story, we should not read the name Barabbas. Instead, we should read the name Tony, or Luke, or Rob, or Kevin, or Emily, when we read this story, we should read our names into it and see that this man who deserved all these different things, all these things to happen to him, that Jesus takes it instead. It's our sins that was worthy of being flogged, and Jesus is flogged in our place. It's our sins that are worthy of being mocked by the world, and Jesus takes that mockery upon himself. It's the things that we've done in our past that is worthy of being crucified and sentenced to death, and Jesus takes that crucifixion instead. We are Barabbas. And Jesus is our substitute. The best of who Jesus is takes on the worst of who we are. And he gives us something better. We are Barabbas when we're at school and we're making fun of that person that looks and acts a little bit differently than we are. We are Barabbas when we're lying to our parents about what we're doing. We are Barabbas when we mistreat our spouses. We are Barabbas when we speak harshly to our children. We are Barabbas when we're at work and we're not doing what we should be doing there. We are Barabbas when we think negatively about our neighbors. We are Barabbas when we fail to show love. And we are worthy of death. But then there's Jesus. Jesus the perfect substitute, the perfect sacrifice who takes our sins and he's nailed to the cross with them. And we, worthy of death, escape because Jesus died for us. We, with all of our nastiness, with all the things that we've done wrong, are given new life because Jesus took our place. best of him took on the worst of us and it doesn't matter what you've done it doesn't matter if you consider your sins really little or if your sins are so great Jesus is there to take your place he is there to die for you if you will come to him and you'll place your sins on him he will take them away so why are you waiting Why do you hold on to them? Jesus wants to be your substitute. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're grateful for Jesus, the greatest sacrifice in the world. We're grateful that he willingly took on our sins and that he willingly took our place and our punishments. Father, help us to come to Jesus and to allow his healing to be in our lives. Lord, help us to praise this sacrifice and this servant of yours. I thank you for him, and I want to live for him every day of my life. It's his name we pray. Amen.